You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's turn to the book of Joshua again, chapter 20. Wow, 20. We're in chapter 20. And look at God's Word again as you're on your way to Joshua 20. We have one picture from last week. I had two turned in, and Madeline gave me a picture. So, Madeline, thank you. She's got a picture. We looked at two chapters last week and a big cross and sin, and we're before the cross. And we looked at our inheritance this great. It's not just that we're saved from the flames of hell, as good as that is, but what are we saved to? all of who God is and and his presence and to enjoy all of God. So appreciate you, Madeline. Turn that in. Other kids, you get pictures and just hand them to me. Put your name on them and maybe you'll get your picture up front there as well. All right. Well, we're in Joshua chapter 20 and I'm going to read the entire chapter to us, verses 1 through 9, and we'll look at it. Ancient words here, right? Preserved for us as we've been learning in Sunday school through the ages, and now we get to read them. So let's read. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place. And he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and he did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriat Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Let me pray for us again. Lord, again, these ancient words, Lord, ever present, true, and useful as your word says for our teaching, rebuke, correcting, training us today, September 29, 2019, in righteousness. Father, guide us through this passage. Lord, guide my teaching through here. Lord, guide these words that they would be your words. Lord, that things spoken of me that are out there, Lord, would would just fall away and that your truth, Lord, would come through. So I pray for that, Lord. How can any of us, Lord, understand without your spirit in us? So grant us that. Grant us a work by feeble minds, Lord, a work for your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Depending on 
your specific TV viewing habits uh, or gaming habits or even how much you watch the news, the taking of a life, when a life is taken, it can seem kind of normal. If I can use that, a technical term we could use might be we've just been desensitized to the act of taking a life. Maybe not ourselves, I'm not thinking ourselves, but we've got action movies. I mean, lives are taken all the time. Uh, or if you're into gaming and, and there's all the, the first-person shooter games, they're popular. Uh, even if you say, well, I don't, I don't do those sorts of things. Even just watching simply the news, you hear of another homicide, another death, and those close to us affect us, but we hear them on the news and we go, well, yeah, there's another. We don't, it doesn't really cause us to just stop, at least most of the time, to stop and really ponder what's going on. And we're, just, we're in a world where we're kind of overloaded with the images of death and destruction. So it, it seems like it takes something more and more, you know, maybe a longer movie or more death or more of this, really to get our attention or, or in the sake for thinking of news for us to really weep when we see life taken. Our passage today helps us to kind of go back to this idea of taking a life, what that looks like in our world of overload and this desensitization, desensitization, there it is. And we want to step back and think seriously, think about life or the taking of life, the punishment due for someone who had murdered someone, whether they planned it out or whether, as we saw in our passage, whether it was unintentional, unknowingly, it kind of, you might say, just happened. And then we want to go from there, looking at the passage, connect it to our own hearts, our own lives. What's our need? Where do we fit in this description? So Lord willing, that's, we'll get to us here after having surveyed the scripture before us. So let's first go back, look at the situation here in Joshua 20. God is the one speaking. Verses 1 through 6, this is all of God speaking. So if you see the words there, the paragraph, this is God Speaking to Joshua again, he's ordering this plan. Again, verses 1, just 1 through 3. The Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. There's some things to understand here as we try to understand this whole cities and six of these cities and who's the avenger of blood, all these sorts of things. There's some background here, and we're used to this. The Lord speaking, I spoke through Moses, therefore do this. So that connects us back to words spoken to Moses through the Lord to the people of Israel from before. And in fact, it's in a lot of places, Exodus 21 or Numbers 35 or Deuteronomy 4, speak of these cities of refuge. This is not just a kind of a one place like, hey, by the way, make these cities. This has been something progressively revealed. And now it's to be put in place in the promised land. Now that this land has been divided up, put these cities in here. One of these descriptions, though, one of these places is Deuteronomy 19. I'd like you to go there. It's not far again, as we've gone to Deuteronomy a lot, looking for history going into Joshua. Just turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 3. Moses here, he's laying out these cities of refuge. And we'll start in verse 3. 
And so this is a helpful passage. It's, it's wonderful when the Bible is a commentary to itself. We can go to other places. We maybe pick up a little more description in some of these places. So Deuteronomy 19.3, at least, we'll read more, but 19.3 says, You shall measure the distances, these cities of refuge, and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. So three parts of the land, they're to be divided up. Any manslayer can flee to these places. In other words, make them strategic enough so that somebody that's accused of taking a life may flee there and actually have a chance of getting there before the avenger of blood, we'll look at it in a minute, before that avenger of blood catches up and kills him. So these three cities on the one side of the Jordan and on the other side are to be strategic, places where you can perhaps get there. Um, I even read in some history, just throw this in here, that the Jewish people, um, I think in this day or later on, would actually once a year keep the road clear to that city of refuge. They wanted to make sure there's nothing blocking that road. If somebody's got to flee, it's a clear shot and they can get there, hopefully before the avenger of blood gets after them, kind of a chase that would, would ensue perhaps we think of. We'll look at verse 4 in Deuteronomy 19 then, and we'll read through 13 just to give you again a flavor. What's, what's the case? What's the example? What's going on with this? So it says, this is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone, okay, helpful. Now, what, what's a case? What's an example? Illustration. As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore, I command you, you shall set apart three cities, and if If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he has sworn to your fathers, and gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all his commandments, which I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three. Lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, and attacks him, and strikes him fatally so that he dies, and he flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. An axe head falls off, kills somebody, flee to the city of refuge. It was an innocent death, though the person died. If one lies in wait, you're ready to strike fatally, you've got this planned out, this sort of idea, there is nowhere to flee. So there's mercy here, there's justice taking place, mercy to the one who's unintentionally killed that axe. And maybe you could say he probably should have made sure the axe was going to stay on, that sort of thing, but it flew off, an accident occurred, He has a place of safety. But there's also justice carried out on the one who already planned this this out. 
Okay, so heading back to Joshua 20 then, turn back there. The focus here is on the manslayer, the one who kills accidentally, unintentionally. And these cities are set up for a place to flee from this avenger of blood. But who is this avenger of blood? Where do we get this idea? This avenger of blood. Um, from what I read, and I, and I think it's right, it stems from Genesis 9, 5 through 6. You don't have to go there, but this is the account. If you remember close, uh, Noah has just, the flood, has, the waters have gone down. Noah, God is blessing Noah. He's speaking to Noah. And he's saying to Noah, Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So blood is compared to life. Blood is life and seen as that. That's why when we think about the blood of Jesus, we think of his life and we see it as life. But Genesis 9, 5 through 6 says, And for your life blood, so for your blood, I will require a reckoning from every beast and I will require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So here's the key. Here's Avenger of Blood. Where does this come from? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So you shed blood, that blood also, that man's blood is shed. There's a reckoning going on because God made man in his image. And so here in Genesis 9, we're nine chapters into the Scriptures, into the Bible, and we're giving the reason why killing in this way, death by murder, is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God's image is still in the individual. It's tainted by sin. Sin has tainted all of us. But the image is still there, still created in the image of God. So that, and this is where it helps, now we're thinking about because life is kind of, we're so desensitized. Life, taking of life, is murder. When we murder someone, it involves defacing an image bearer of God. That's what makes it such a crime. It's not just because we've determined that's a bad thing to do. We don't want to live in a society like that. What it does is it takes somebody made in the image of God and wipes them out. Now, in our case, whether unintentional or intentional. And all people, no matter who they are, they bear this stamp made in the image of God. If you were to look on the tag of every person, of the T-shirt, if you will, we've got tags that say, wear our shirts. If you could pull up the tag of every one of us, it would say, made in the image of God. And that's, that's what's behind what's so wrong about murder and taking of a life. So according to Genesis 9, the one who sheds blood of another, his blood must be shed. Life for life. And again, the seriousness because this person bears that image of God. Yet in the case of the manslayer that we're reading about in Joshua, he didn't intend to do this. He wasn't planning this. He's, he's innocent of guilt and yet a life has been taken. And so the avenger of blood must, he is avenging and in his Wrath and, and I think maybe in his temper, as we read someplace there, uh, coming after him. But now what? Where does this manslayer go? That's where these cities of refuge come in. So look at verses 4 through 6 back in Joshua 20. We get sort of a walk through again. We've read this a little bit in uh, Deuteronomy 19. 
Here's a walk through someone unintentionally kills another with his axe head or whatever it is without prior knowledge. Here's what happens. Verses 4 through 6. He shall flee to one of these cities. So you can picture this man fleeing down one of these roads, heading into the city. He shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of the city. Okay, here's what happened. I had the axe that flew off. This guy, he's dead. Here I am. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because, his, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment. There's judgment going to take place. Is this right? Is this guy telling the truth? But he stays there, stands before the congregation until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town, his own home, to the town from which he, which he fled. So you've got the situation here, the fleeing to the city, explaining his case to the elders, so on and so forth. There seems to be a trial here, like we mentioned, trial before the congregation. I'm presuming this is... I think we're safe to guess this is the congregation of his hometown, not the congregation of the city he fled to, but the congregation of his hometown. Kind of a trial, we think of that, trial before your peers, if you will. But then, interestingly, after the high priest dies, did you catch that in there? When he dies, then the man can return home, and seemingly there's no longer any danger which we should ask, what about the avenger of blood? Isn't he still on the loose? I mean, you exit that city of refuge, what's going to happen? It's just because the high priest died? What's going on? I think there's some amazing things going on, even just with with this put in here. And we're asking, how does the death of the high priest simply make it okay and safe for this manslayer to return back home? In in essence, the high priest dies, the man goes free. Genesis 9 kind of comes back in here, this thought, life for life, blood for blood. Here's what one commentator, Richard Hess, says. The death of the priest symbolically terminates the guilt incurred by the killer's act. Presumably, the avenger of blood would accept this death, the high priest, as a substitute for the death of the killer. The compensation had been paid. Nothing further was required. Did you catch that? The death of a high priest paid for. It was the compensation for the blood owed by the one who had accidentally killed someone else. And it seems the avenger of blood... Coming after him is all of a sudden satisfied because the high priests, because of his death, and so he doesn't come after the manslayer. Does that sound a little bit familiar to, to the story of all stories? Perhaps. So they set aside these cities. We get to verses 7 through 9. I'm going to have the guys back there put this map up tried to circle red these cities, and you can see their distances. And let's just hear the text again, and now you can maybe see it up there. And these would be on your little sheet of where they all divide the land. If you want to go home today, circle the six cities of refuge. 
These would be the places, and you can kind of see them divided up there. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali. So northwest there. Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. So we kind of went north, middle, south. There's a city. You're in one of those regions? Find your closest one. Find the path. That's where you've got to go if that axe falls off or whatever it is. Okay, beyond the Jordan then, over on the other, east of the Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. So these places here, you've got them before you. And then kind of verse 9, just a summary again. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning, traveling, living among them, sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. So there's that, there's that judgment part, that aspect part in there, but until that point. And again, they're scattered throughout, and verse 9 has that summary of this section here. Whether it be the true Israelite or the stranger among them, they can run for refuge if they've killed somebody without intent and not face death. God here was providing law and order to his people. A governance not not based on kind of an ad hoc, I don't know, this tribe, do what you want, figure it out, this tribe over here, do it. Here's the plan. It's not a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type of nation. Laws governed them and gave them order. And due process, as we experience in our country today, was in place by God long before it was just an American thing here that we see. Well, we talked about the heart. What about us as we look and think through this passage and go, okay, what's this here? Why is it here? How can we be held by it? How is it useful for our instruction? Question for us, do, do we need refuge? Do we need one of these places? Do we need refuge? Are, are we in danger of the avenger of blood? Perhaps we think, at least I've never murdered anybody. I don't know all your stories. Maybe that's a thought. Well, I've, I've not murdered. Or perhaps we think, I'm glad there are cities of refuge for those poor people in these hard spots, but I don't have a need for that. And we want to look into that in light of this study here in Joshua 20 and say, what need do we have for a refuge? And so I want to go to Matthew 5. We're going to depart from Joshua and go to Matthew 5. We'll go to, I believe, two places, but Matthew 5, 21. If you turn there, Matthew 5, 21, part of the section here, we're in a section, Jesus is teaching his disciples, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, teaching his disciples up on a mountain. And we read this in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 22, keeping in mind, okay, this manslayer flees to the city. There's judgment by the congregation. You might say the elders. Is his case hold up? What's his case? There's an avenger of blood. What's going on? Is this murder? Is it not? All these sorts of things. Listen to Jesus' piercing words for us in these two verses. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
Does that make sense? Now, coming from Joshua, judgment. Yes, if you've murdered someone and you're in the city of refuge, you don't get to stay there. You must leave. You're not safe. Okay, so you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders, you're liable to judgment. Now Jesus, verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Have we shed innocent blood? Have we murdered? According to Matthew 5, 21 through 22 here, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, you know, Another word, insulting your brother, uh, um, there would, the, I think the, the Greek is raka, something like that. One who is totally lacking in understanding, or you, basically numbskull was in there. You call somebody, you numbskull. You've insulted your brother. Or you say, you fool. We say, really, you fool? Really, if you think about that, calling someone worthless or good for nothing. It's, it's where we get the word moron. Ever called anybody a moron? You're speaking Greek in a way, but you're also here in Matthew 5.22. Yikes. Why? Why is this? Why be liable to hell? Those people are made in the image of God again. So those angry, those who throw out insults, who say you're stupid, they're liable in much more a way than the one who we read about in Joshua 20 who flees to a city of refuge. Here's what the ESV Study Bible speaks of, um, of anger here. Anger typically entails a desire. So thinking of you're angry with someone, you're angry with your brother, insulting your brother, saying you fool. Anger typically entails a desire to damage or destroy the other person, either in some personal way or literally in the form of murder. Calling someone a fool is closely related to anger in that it represents a destructive attack on one's character and identity. Thus, Jesus warns that the person who violates another person in this grievous way is liable to the hell of fire. The reality for you and I to get a grasp on this is we need a whole lot more than a city of refuge to run to. The judgment in the courts of heaven against us here. Not looking back on Israel or the manslayer or any of that. It's immense and we're to be judged. Were we to be judged in our sin, we'd rightly be thrown out of the city. The avenger of blood would be justified to come after us every time we're angry. We shed innocent blood, not not externally, We can look smiley, but we can kill from within, in the heart. Stupid, moron, I'm angry. That's just the area of anger and murder. We're not not even talking about today idolatry, slander, stealing, greed, coveting, drunkenness. The weight of what we owe, the weight of our debt is huge. A.W. Pink says this, A man is satisfied with his condition 
until he sees his vileness in the light of God's holiness. He has a good opinion of his own character and righteousness until his eyes be divinely open to perceive that he is a moral leper. He is self-complacent and self-confident until he is given a terrifying sense of the wrath of God pursuing him for his sins and that there is but a step between him and eternal death. I think the more we ponder and meditate and think on this, just even these two verses we read from Matthew 5 from from our Lord Jesus, should lead us to say, woe is me. Or with Paul in Romans, wretched man that I am. Who will, with the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer? Our refuge, Christ Jesus. Paul says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in chapter 8 of Romans, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And Hebrews that we'll be reading about, I assume, in, in weeks to come, Hebrews helps us see Jesus as what? the great high priest. Here he is, whose blood shed on the cross, his life given, secures our eternal redemption forever, our refuge, and purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus took the death we in our sin deserve. That avenger of blood should have come for us. Jesus took it on the cross that we might go free and essentially walk out of the city in freedom because we have a greater refuge than any city. We have Christ, and we're free in him. That Jesus took the punishment due for our rebellion against God and his holiness that we might be justified by his righteousness and not our own. Jesus was taken out of the city if you will, if we think of the city metaphor, city illustration, to die. And he died in our place. He went outside the city that by his blood we would be saved. If you're still in Matthew, hopefully you are, would you turn a couple pages to Matthew eleven twenty-eight? Just find this familiar passage. Where do we go? What, what, do we, what do we do with this and where do we flee? When we, when we realize the mountain of sin, again, maybe on the outside we look really pretty clean. We're looking, we got, got a nice Bible with us. On the outside we look a certain way, but have we hated? Have we been angry? Do we realize we are liable under judgment of God's wrath? We flee to Christ our refuge. The words of Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Jesus says, come to me. You want a refuge? You want to escape? You're fleeing? I can't flee anymore. I can't go to that city. They won't even take me there. They'll throw me out. You want a refuge? Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You could even say, you're going to find a refuge. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I close, I want to read the words again from the hymn that we sung here today. We sung a couple of the verses. I'll read all of them from that song, How Firm a Foundation, in light of thinking of Christ as our refuge and our need. It's not even a need just from past sins years ago. It's anger of this week. It's judgment. It's someone stupid in our minds this week, today even. Let's hear these words of this this hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, I'll cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Let me pray for us. Father, I admit there's much in the cities of refuge and there's other questions to be answered that we would have, but you've given us your word to understand. Father, our own lives, Lord, even are we, are we simply innocent or are we guilty? And Father, just two lines of your verse in Matthew 5 has said, we bear a guilt, an immense guilt, wretched men and women that we are. Who will save us? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we look to you, Jesus, as our refuge. Lord, when Satan reminds us of our sin and our failures, may we run again to the foot of the cross and say, that's my Savior. He saves. It's his righteousness. It's his life for mine. My freedom's in Christ and not in what I do. Thank you for that, Lord. May we be nourished by your grace to us. Grace that would take murderers. Cleanse them by your blood and call them children. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.